I'm Chad. And I'm Cheese. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Our podcast covers news, startups, AI, automation, programmatic, and all the things the kids are excited about. (laughs) And then we drown it with a healthy dose of snark, attitude, and four-letter words. Subscribe to the Chad and Cheese Podcast today wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to TalentCast, James Ellis here. So we're going to talk about DNI, which as many of you know, I'm a big fan of, I'm very interested in it, but I don't feel like I am particularly, let's say, qualified in this subject, right? Uh, I know what I look like, I know what I sound like, I know who I am, and it's it's not my space to say. I don't feel like I can tell what the answers are, I don't know that I have good solutions or examples, I'm just me. So I love talking to people who are really good at this, who have great perspectives, who have lots of things to say. And we're going to be joined by Madison Butler in just a minute. So uh, she's got a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about specifically what does the intersection look like between employer brand and DNI. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. And I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing. And I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go. All right, James Ellis recording live from Chicago and apparently Austin, which uh, was where I went to school about a bajillion years ago. And with me is Madison Butler. Uh, Madison is the VP of People and Culture over at Sourced Craft Cocktails, a startup outside out of Austin. Um, she's not been there too long, but uh, she is a she's a startup monster. She's a startup creature. So uh, Madison, thank you so much for being here. We've known each other for a while on LinkedIn. We got a chance to meet each other a couple months ago when I was talking in Austin. So I'm so glad we can make some time to kind of chat hello how are you i'm good how you doing i'm good you know yeah. i'm in my in my house yeah really really <laughs> weird yeah i know you're the you're the only one you're the only person who's that's happening to um i did a webinar i just finished a webinar and someone says yes i'm in my basement i'm like that just sounds depressing that's rough it's like this is I, a tough enough situation don't go in your basement i miss having a basement that is like my number one miss from the East Coast is having a basement. <laughs> but you know, it, but when it was like a uh, a game room or a rumpus room, right? Not like a dreary, dank basement. I think it's just more so because like now I just have to store everything in my garage. <laughs> That's fair. Because <laughs> I That's don't fair. have a basement. <laughs> Welcome to the Talent Cast. Where we talk storage situations. Um, so let's just jump right into it. So I don't have a, a good question. I just here's my kind of kickoff. And that is, I'm a big believer that somehow, if I squint real hard, I can see a connection between employer brand and DNI. I just don't know how to spell that connection out. I know that a lot of times, you know, employer branders talk about the power of DNI, but I feel like we talk about it in a very topsoil, facile kind of level that we don't have a level of depth to it a lot of times. So you are someone who is deeply passionate. You are incredibly vocal on LinkedIn about the subject. You have a lot of great stuff to say. Um, let's just start there. How, first off, how do you talk about DNI? How do you see DNI? And then we'll get into how does it connect to employer brand? 
Yeah, so I guess the way I see DNI, like if I actually had to visualize it, I think of it the way almost a food pyramid looks. And so I think a lot of times we get really caught up in talking about race and gender Mm -hmm. and, you know, who you love. And like those are what I would consider like those pillars, like the building blocks, like those are definitely the most marginalized because they're the most visible Mm -hmm. or the most talked about. Um, But when you actually think about DNI, it's really more intersectional than that. And there's all these different pieces that play in, whether you're a parent or you're a non-parent, you're a caretaker, there's all this just like stuff um, that falls into DNI. And I think that's, you know, the really important way to look at it. Otherwise you lose people's interest because, you know, when you're talking to a man who is maybe white and straight and I, you know, hi, how you talk doing? About DNI. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, hi. Okay. Um, Good to meet you at last. <laughs> you know, I, I want them to feel like this is a topic that also affects them in some way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think people shut down when they're like, well, I'm not black. I'm not a woman. I'm not gay. Yep. Um, and I, I'm, I'm like all those things. So um, sometimes people think, you know, it's just that. And I think the biggest thing about DNI is being able to care about topics that don't affect you, but knowing that somewhere in there it does also affect you and how mm-hmm. you will function in your workplace. Yeah. So let's unpack the concept of intersexuality, intersexuality, intersectionality. Let me spell or speak clearly a little bit. Um, I feel like it's a word that's thrown around and a lot of times it's not either defined or everybody has a different sense of it. So what do you mean by intersectionality? Yeah. So the way, you know, again, it's about having more than one lens when you view DNI, which means I'm not just viewing it as a black woman and I'm not mm-hmm. just viewing it as a queer woman or, you know, a woman who is a veteran or a one who's disabled. And so mm-hmm. you can be all of those things, and that's kind of where your intersections meet. I see. Um, obviously, the more marginalized you are, the more likely you are to be discriminated against. And so you could be a woman, but as a black woman, you'll always be more discriminated against than a white woman. It's just and more so, reasons to discriminate against you, I guess, right? Yeah, it's, just, it's like more. The more, more there factors. is, the more... Yep, 100%. Okay. And so okay. when we think about... Um, or the way I like to think about kind of building culture and building inclusivity in the workplace is like, if I can make a culture that works for someone who is the most marginalized, Mm -hmm. like the stress case, then it'll work for the test case. Mm, (laughs) So it'll work for a woman who is just, you know, me, like a black woman. Um, If it works for a woman who is black, gay, disabled and a veteran, like if it works Mm -hmm. for them, it's going to work for me. Um, So that's kind of the way I view it, if that makes sense. So how come more companies don't see it that way, where they focus on the most marginalized or the uh, the, the, the hardest stress case, so to speak? I, I like the way you're phrasing that. So why don't most companies say, okay, how do we treat a gay, disabled, veteran, black woman, um, or trans woman, whatever, you know, throw it in there, go, you know, go all out. How come they don't start with that? How come they don't say, well, if we understand how it works for that kind of person, we have a good, better sense of how it works for people who aren't that because it's hard. Um, I think (laughs) the more marginalized you get and the more into it you get, you have to start examining the own biases you have within yourself. Mm -hmm. Because at some point, something is going to bubble up inside of you that you have feelings about and like you've got to address that. Um, So the less you talk about, um, the more, the less you have to talk about, the less you have to examine. And so perfect example, I have a friend who recently um, applied for a role here in Austin with a startup okay. company and she had an interview and one of her questions was, well, how do y'all look at DNI? And they said, oh, well, we don't because we think we're good. And if you talk about it, then you have a problem. So if mm. you're talking about it, then you have a problem. And she was like, ooh, that's, 
that's really scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so some people just don't want to talk about it. They would much rather continuously hire for that whole culture fit thing, mm-hmm. which means I'm just going to hire like the same person over and over and over, and they're going to yeah. be 25, wear boat shoes, and have been in a fraternity. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny because employer brand, a lot of that was, you know, the, some of the thinking was, well, if you need to invest in your employer brand, it means your company's having problems. And now we've gotten to the point where every company needs to invest in employer brand just to understand and maintain it and manage it to shape it over the course of time. So that's an interesting kind of parallel there. Um, so let's talk about culture fit because I think that's a, another loaded term. And I, I'm going to guess you and I, we're going to hit all these sorts of kind of minefields as we have this conversation. <laughs> Step, kaboom. Um, so culture fit versus culture ad, or is there, you know, is there another kind of way to look at this where to avoid the sense of how do I functionally avoid functionally cloning myself or cloning my hiring managers mm-hmm. so that there are more points of view? And then how do you talk about the idea of why? Or is, or is that just such an obvious, stupid question that we shouldn't even get into that? I think you would be surprised at how many people get so angry when I say that culture fit is like not a good thing. Yeah. Um, and one, I think it's because we're really caught up in this mindset of we have to like everyone we hire mm-hmm. and we want to have, we want to go get a beer with everyone we hire. And that's just mm-hmm. not realistic. If I want to get a beer with every single person I hire, it means I've hired people who would like fall into my friend circle, which yeah. means they're probably pretty damn similar to myself, mm-hmm. whether it be from a value standpoint or from their background, whatever they're relating to me really heavily. And I think that we have to kind of break that stigma of, we should want to be friends with everyone we hire because that's just not the case. Yeah, um, it's really hard to get. It's really hard to get different viewpoints when you just really like everyone. Um, yeah. And don't get me wrong; I think everyone should be able to get along, and that's like part of being an adult is you like learn to function with different points of view. Yeah, um, civility is not the same as friendship. Correct. And so I think when we're thinking about hiring people, like I'm not asking myself like, oh, like do I want to go hang out with them? I'm asking myself, are they a good person? What values do they add to my organization, to my team, to a project? Are they not hoarding tigers in their backyard? Like, those are the things I care about. <laughs> what, what's the problem with hoarding tigers in your backyard? Oh, I wait. mean, uh, didn't really go so well. Um, and so I think we get really caught up in this, like, oh, well, like, if I don't want to go to happy hour with them, because I know I used to work in an organization where they would do the couch test, which was like, yep. well, do I want to, like, have a conversation with this person outside of work? And like, you don't need to. It's work. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, I, I would be a weird case because all I like to do is talk about work because that's just because I'm a total <laughs> nerd for it. But And I get the sense that you're not too far off that either. But, you know, I would love to talk to people who I'm like, I'm not going to invite you to a wedding. I'm not going to, you know, hang out with you with a beer. But if you want to talk about, let's strategize, let's talk through a work problem. That sounds like a lot of fun. I do want to hear different opinions. And I do want to hear people who aren't me at all. Because frankly, I get enough of me in me. My head will not shut up. I do not need more of that. Exactly. And so I think you, it is really hard to solve complex problems when you only have one think tank. Yeah. And so you end up just solving problems the exact same way all of the time and that doesn't actually foster growth yeah and so i think you have to have difference of opinion sometimes and you have to have like different worlds like people Mm -hmm. have to come from different worlds sometimes and i think that's a good thing and culture fit really loses that because then you end up with a company that is just literally full of people between the ages of 26 and 28 and that's it yeah 
And I think that the argument against that has always been, well, if everybody is in the same kind of culture fit, we move more optimally, we move more efficiently, we move in the right direction. But that ignores the idea or it assumes the idea that you just have to find the answer fast, not that you have to find a better answer. Because I think we're at the stage now where all the easy problems have been solved. So it's only complicated, messy, ugly, sweaty, you know, just a messy problem to solve. And that's all that's left. And consequently, getting there faster doesn't mean you're getting there better. We should be focused on Let's kick this idea around with as many people as possible to make sure we're not missing an opportunity to serve an audience, to engage in a different point of view, to understand how other people see it than we do. Definitely. And I think that's something that's really lost in the world right now. It's like everything needs to be done fast rather than mm-hmm. done well. Yeah. That's interesting. And I, okay. And I yeah. think that's it's definitely a problem like in being, you know, in the startup life cycle is a lot of startups move Ah. at lightning speed and then you like hit a wall. Yeah. (laughs) Beyond that, they define themselves by that lightning speed. You can, I mean, I've worked at a a company that was 6,000 people that like to pretend that they were a startup because they still thought they were fast. And you're like, I'm not, you went public eight years ago. How are you, how are you a startup exactly? What what (laughs) defines a startup versus a non-startup? Yeah, we still, oh, it's because we still hire people in dinosaur uni- outfits to walk around the office because it's funny. That's what startups do. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's the other thing is like when people think about culture fit, like they're not actually thinking about what would define a culture. They're like, well, this person like having a keg. Do they drink yeah. kombucha? Are they yeah. going to play foosball with me? And, you know, I'm, I'm constantly talking about like, those are not like, benefits that's like a weird hill to die on to be like oh well you should come work here because there's kombucha when like if you paid me enough Mm -hmm. i could buy my own fancy kombucha yeah uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Though, honestly, I did an audit for a company once that I swear if I had to write their employer brand based on what they were putting out in the world, I would say their employer brand is we're a startup, we have cold brew. And that would, you wouldn't even get into what they do or how they do it or why they do it because all their messages are we're a startup and we have cold brew. Like they said it over and over again as if that was some sort of differentiating factor. Well, and I had someone who I interviewed and I, one of my questions was like, well, you know, what about us? makes you want to be here and they're like well mm. i really like the brand of cold brew you have and i was like oh, you God. know you can you can buy it yeah <laughs> it's right? not it's not special <laughs> we didn't make it <laughs> you're not out there picking the beans special just for your own particular brand <laughs> yikes yeah okay so that helps me kind of and, and, and let, let's kind of just shake that one one more time because as you intimated i am a straight white male um i'm a breeder right i am the classic I am, you know, supposed to be the standard, which is crazy because I'm absolutely that minority once you include all the different people. I might be, if you're lucky, a plurality. I might be have the biggest group audience group to talk to or to talk to be represented by, but in no way am I the majority. I haven't been the majority in a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. But I have no idea how to engage with some conversations certain times. I was in a, a I was giving a webinar two years ago. And, and I apologize when it's going to be a bit of a story. So here you go. So I had always been told, hey, you know, what do I know? TV tells you to do things, you do things. Hey, people of color like to refer to as African-American. Great, fine, cool. I show up to this company. They have an ERG called Blacks at Company. And I went, oh, they want to be called black. That's fine. I don't care. It's not my, you tell me. I don't, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. You want to be called whatever you, great, I'm going to call you that. I was on a webinar and said, so if you want to engage with blacks, and somebody went on the chat function in the webinar and just 
beat me up. That's incredibly offensive. We, how dare you? And I'm like, oh, I, what? How? And that, it completely threw me off and it completely threw the webinar off. So how do we have conversations? How do we say, I want to be an ally. I want to be part of this. I want to be more the solution than the problem. Um, I want to support people who are not me because I think everybody should have that fair shot and everybody should be represented and everybody should be served. How do we have conversations when the playing field is a minefield? How do we how do we start those conversations? I think there's two sides to the coin. Um, one side is just not being scared of messing up. Okay. I think a lot of people don't come out and talk about DNI because they're so scared of like messing up. Like they may say the wrong thing, they yeah. may use the wrong pronoun, they may say black instead of African American. Because um, there's just a lot of like different words that come up like all of the time. I was yeah. recently on a panel here, and it was originally called like the BIPOC panel, and literally everyone on the panel was like, "None of us use this term." Yeah, I've <laughs> like, heard of it. It exactly, and so there's always like evolving terminology mm -hmm. and on the flip side of this i think there's a very intense lesson of not villainizing people who are trying yeah and still fumbling um i really think that there will be times where people do say the wrong pronoun and i think the only time that like saying the wrong pronoun is something to villainize is when they were like hey my preferred pronouns are she, her, and that person says, well, I'm not going to call you that. Yeah. I'm going to call you this. Well, that's Versus called being like a dick. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah. you know, I have people on my LinkedIn who say it all the time, like, well, I don't believe in people's pronouns. And, you know, for me, like, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in Christianity, but I'm not going to tell you you're not a Christian. It is literally that simple. Like, yeah. you yeah. just let people, whatever someone believes they are, like, you believe that for them, too. I'm not saying you have to believe it for yourself or anyone else, but like whatever they are, you just accept that. And that's yeah. as easy as it is. Kids get it like so well and adults are just like, it, it, it blows their mind. Yeah, because um, it breaks their perceived understanding of how the world should work, not how it does work. And that gets really complicated. That gets oh, really messy in a hurry. A hundred percent. And I mean, and it's not even just around topics that are like this. It's like, so for me, I'm child free. And I remember I had someone at a company that I was at that was like, what is your partner doing today? I was like, oh, he's cleaning the kitchen. They were like, isn't that your job? And I was like, mm, no. no, I was like, this is actually my job. I'm here. I get paid. Like we both mm -hmm. do chores. And um, later on, we were at a happy hour and her husband said to my partner, I can't believe you handle her. Like she doesn't even want to have kids. <sighs> And oh I was like, goodness. I was like, oh my God, like I'm not a zoo animal. <laughs> like, what yeah. do you mean? And it's just like, because my life is so opposite of theirs. Like we don't have kids. We just have a ton of dogs and he yeah. does laundry and people just like, it blows their mind when people just live differently. Yeah. And I think if we could all just like kind of, and again, back to culture fit, like we don't have to fit into a box, like just allowing yeah. humans to take whatever their space is and being like, oh, cool, that's how you live? Awesome, sweet, yeah. high five. That's interesting, yes, exactly. Okay, so exactly. let me ask, let me, <laughs> let me kick one more kind of, let's call it a use case at you because I'd love to hear your opinions because I'm on the fence on this myself. So this is a personal struggle I have. So unless you're legitimately an alien from another galaxy, if you see a picture of me, I pretty sure 99.999999% of people would say, that's a dude. So I see lots of people who put their pronouns in their email signatures. You have them in your uh, LinkedIn profile. What is the value? What is the purpose? Should I, I'd love your opinion, should I say, 
he, him at the end of that stuff. Is there value in that? Is it, I mean, I, it seems such like a complicated idea. Obviously, since I don't, since I know I'm a, I'm a dude and I think everybody in the world looks at me and goes, yeah, that's a dude, I shouldn't need to, but maybe I'm missing something. So let's talk about that for a second because I think it's a good chance to kind of unpack a piece of this. Yeah, I actually, I get asked that a lot and that's almost the point. And yeah. so obviously, you know, I pretty much, I self-represent as a woman. Um, so my pronouns are she, her. Mm -hmm. And I don't have my pronouns on there for me. Um, you can pretty much look at me, hear me, know off the bat that I present as a woman. However, there are going to be people who don't present that way because they're non-binary, sure. they're androgynous, however, whatever. And sure. so for me, I want people to always know that I am going to be a safe space to tell me their pronouns and I'm going to say them right back. Mm. And I want people to have the conversation with me about my pronouns so that I can explain it to them because it's not a sensitive subject for me. It is not so pertinent in my life yeah. that I will be extremely hurt by the person on the other end of the line. And so I want to make sure, again, that like being an advocate for DNI is not just about me being a black woman. It is about mm. every single person. And like this fight is not over until it doesn't affect trans women. It doesn't affect black mm -hmm. women. It doesn't affect gay men. Like, I can't just be in this fight for myself because yeah. that doesn't solve the problem. And so I really look at it like until I can see everyone at the table, it doesn't matter if I've made it to the table. Yeah. Um, I have to be an advocate for anyone who's not there too. So it's, it's a signal you're putting forth to the world saying, if you are wondering where my uh, feeling or perception of gender questions or uh, DNI is, this this is my signal that hey, I'm cool with whatever. Let's let's I'm I'm open to whatever. You're, uh, uh, let's have the conversation um, more than anything else. Is that would that be a fair assessment? Definitely. And okay. so I think sometimes it is easier and it feels less pointed to have that conversation with someone like me. Versus like you saying it to someone who maybe is trans, it is a harder conversation, I think, sometimes for them to have when they don't yeah. know what your response is going to be. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. That, that's helpful. I appreciate that. So let's turn the car a little bit over to employer brand. So I'm going to start by defining how I perceive employer brand, just because I think if we don't, uh, we're going to be talking past each other. And that's unfortunate for both of us and for anybody who has to listen to this. Um, so I talk about employer brand. I think about employer brand as the aggregate understanding of what people think it's like to work at a company based on interactions and experiences. So if person A talks to their cable company, their insurance company, their cell phone provider, and hates the customer service they get, they presume that working at those places is not going to be a fun place to work based on that experience. And it's an individual perception, meaning I think working at company X is going to be amazing. You might look at it and go, yeah, that place looks like a hellhole. I don't know. I, you, you'd have to pay me three times as much as I make now to even consider applying. And, that's, and they're both valid opinions. They are both the employer brand. It's, 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 it's an aggregate of all those ideas. So if that, is, that being the case, or at least that being kind of a, a starting point, how does DNI factor into that? How do we say for individuals, how are they inputting the DNA, DNI conversation and inputting their experiences as someone who might be marginalized into that perception of the brand? So I will say, I think 100% as a person of color, the first thing I do um, when looking at another company is trying to figure out how many other people look like me yeah. and then maybe seeing if I can connect with someone and like, how, okay. So, cause the world may be great for you as a, you know, a white man there, but like, what is it like for you as a black woman? Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of times 
when you know you you see the comparison it is extremely different especially here in like startup land um and so i do think that there is i don't know necessarily it is like a, a weird connection but it is there because i know like for me that's like one of the first things i want to know about is like what does your representation look like and what are their experiences look like yeah. like their yeah. actual experiences not what's painted you know sure. on your dni website but so and, and but there's a great word um <laughs> As my therapist ex-wife used to say, that stands for behold the underlying truth. That's not the case here. I, I, was, I remember when University of Wisconsin at Madison photoshopped in the second black person out of their brochure, who unfortunately was the exact same as the first person, and thought no one would notice. And they, they were you know, trying to feed into the sense of, look, it's okay to be black, and we're totally cool with black people in this university that was generally pretty lily white. Um, so how do you avoid, or no, let me rephrase that. How do I avoid, if I'm owning a brand, any semblance of tokenism in that regard? If I know that you, someone like you is coming in just doing a first initial pass at, do people who look like me work here? How do I avoid tokenism? I think it's more like I, your employer brand in this sense needs to be incredibly authentic and real. Because if you have all of these pictures of people of color, of women on your website or on your brochure, but I work it, walk in for my first interview, let me tell you, the first thing I'm doing is taking like a good hard look around to be like, where are those people sitting? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> where, where are, are they? they sitting? Oh, that's, oh I, that's really interesting. I went straight to, are they, do I see them at all? Do they yeah. exist or are they bullshit? Well, oh, so that's interesting. I, I, I always do the where are they sitting because here's the thing um, mm -hmm. about DNI that is often incredibly missed. You could have people of color, but if they are all on the teams that are making the least amount of money, HR. how much good are you doing? Like customer service, being on the phones. Like, and you, my biggest thing is like, I'm going to look at your leadership team. Yeah. Do they all look the same? Yeah. Because that's for me, at least for me, that's like. No, completely valid. That's what Tom Peters exactly. used to talk about. He would say, look, if you took all the five, you know, and this was 20 years ago, but I think it still rings true. If you took the, the boards and C-suites of every Fortune 1000 company, you're going to notice that the, the people they hire who are black end up in the HR team. They are the CHRO of most companies. That's where they kind of check a box because that's all they're trying to do. They're not really trying to say, how do we open leadership up to alternate points of view? Exactly, because then it, it messes with the board too much. The board gets all wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, okay, so that, though, I like that, that as a starting point. So let me ask a harder question. If my company and me and all the people in it legitimately want to be open to that, but as a startup of seven people, we all happen to look a lot like me. How do you bring in the first person of color? How do you bring in the first woman? How do you bring in the first whatever to start to open those doors? To me, that's the, the toughest part. Because once you get one, okay, there's at least a head nod to say, look, we are actively trying to fix this or change this or open the doors to stuff. But how do you get the first one? Yeah, and I actually think being the number one is like the hardest spot because it's, mm -hmm. really, it's really weird to be in only. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I think part of it is having, again, really authentic conversations where I'm like, hey, this is how we feel. And it's not that we're bringing you in to be the token, whatever. However, we're going to, we're looking to change, you know, the way we look. We're trying to change our footprint. And we have to start somewhere. But I think you have to have that awkward conversation, um, as awkward as it may be, rather than mm -hmm. just bringing them in and then being like, oh, look it, I'm the token black girl now. Yeah, Yay. Yeah. Stop photo brown girl. <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't want to be your stock photo brown girl, but I, I yeah. do want to know that if I'm coming into a company as a first, 
mm-hmm. that you are open to me helping you be thought leaders in this space. So really valuing this person's input and not just hiring them to be that quiet stock photo. Too often yeah. people of color are hired to be a quiet stock photo and people love diversity until diversity is loud. Yeah. And so I think you have to be open to them actually having a voice and like speaking up and being like, hey, John, what you just said, that was wild and kind of racist. Mm-hmm. And you may not know that, but can I call that out for you so we can maybe self-examine? And yeah. so I think people get scared of having those conversations. And so when oh, people absolutely. do start to stir the pot a little, which I have no experience with at all. Um, no, not you. No. <laughs> people get really, 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 really uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, it's one thing to say, I'm judging your work. I'm judging what you've done versus I'm judging you. And it's we've rightly or wrongly, and I, who the hell am I to, to say, when you say you're being racist, it's not so much you're being racist, you're really saying you are racist, and that's much more complicated. If you, can, you tell me, look, James, you're being racist, I'm going to say, let's have this conversation so I understand what the hell did I just say, and how did that offend you, so I can unpack and say, what did I mean by that? Oh, okay, great. I, I have to fix that. I have to change that. But if you say, James, you're racist, uh, the conversation just kind of stops, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to engage with you because... It feels like you're just calling me out to score a point, like you're, I mean, it, it just feels very weird and it's very hard to separate the concept of being and, and doing. Yep, and it's a lot of times making sure you're following up with, let me help you unpack that. Yeah. And I think a lot of, I've had a lot of these conversations with coronavirus being, you know, obviously the number one topic on every news site. And what? there, yeah, wild. There's been Where? just like, there's been just like a ton of xenophobia and it's not even, I don't think most of the time it's purposeful because people don't understand why it's wrong mm-hmm. to be like, well, this is, you know, a Chinese virus. And so yeah. it is completely, yeah. not, it's, I think it's a good thing to have people who you trust enough to help you call that stuff out. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to say it to the wrong person and things will blow up. Yeah. Um, and so I think we all have to be open to that kind of feedback and I mean that's just in a workplace in general we should all be prepared to get feedback that like something we did was wrong um, because in all situations we should want to fail fast this is definitely also one of the situations where you want to fail fast and that's as you know an individual contributor I want to know if I'm offending people but as a manager you need to be like in tune with like habits that are going on on your team because like one bad person mm-hmm. will like ruin everyone <laughs> yeah yeah, because they say it's okay if they if you call it out that way, or if you if one person calls it the Chinese virus, what you're saying is the whole team is we're totally cool if they say that, and that exactly. means everybody should say that, which then yeah spoils the whole barrel as it were. So interesting. So then getting back to employer brand more directly. Yes, you want to be authentic. Yes, you want to show your real self. Yes, you want to avoid stock photo black girl. I love that language, and by the way, that I played bass in stock photo black girl, and we didn't do very well. Um, <laughs> Right. Uh, so let's get back to the employer brand part. So if I'm trying to hire people and I'm trying to tell people what it's really like to be here and we might have the opportunity to say, and by the way, we would love for someone to be the first blank, for the first Asian, the first mm-hmm. black African-American, the first you know queer, what have you, to say, look, we're trying to get in this space, but we want to do that. The, the argument against that, as always, why are you focusing on bringing these audiences in instead of saying they should all, quote unquote, compete at equal levels? 
versus saying, being intentional and saying, look, we'd like to open these doors up to people who are not white dudes or not white women. How do you talk about that relative to the employer brand? Yes. And so a lot of times you will get people who will say, um, there aren't great women engineers. I can't find them. Oh my God. Um, you're not looking hard enough. And so mm -hmm. a lot of times people are like, well, I just want to hire the best talent. And I can tell you that there is best talent every single marginalized group. Yeah. Um, people just do not want to do the work. And I think that is, you're still competing. You're, you're not just hired. You're not hiring someone because they're black. That's not a thing. Um, mm -hmm. I would be horribly offended if you were like, eh, you're not that good at your job, but you were brown. So like, <laughs> we're going to hire you. That sounds fair. Um, that, sounds that, like that, something that, you should be offended by. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what I think you have to explain to people is we're not just looking for people who are, who are black or queer. Yeah. We are looking for best in class talent from whoever who has mm -hmm. different perspectives than the people we already have. But, and all those fun transition words. If I'm a white dude and I've mostly hired white dudes, I have a yardstick by which I measure a developer, a nurse, a whatever. It's going to be a very lily white yardstick, right? Because it's I'm, I'm functionally measuring myself and everybody I've found. If it turns out that someone of a different gender, of a different ethnicity or what have you, they do it a little differently. Am I use how do I measure how do I bring them in and justify them if I have a different yardstick? If they code just as well, but they do it from a different direction or they come at it differently, but because I'm using this kind of yardstick, what's what's the line to a um, if this the the oh gosh, I'm gonna butcher this. If if intelligence is the ability to climb a tree, a fish is an idiot, right? If if that's your metric and that's the mm -hmm. only yardstick you use, how do you kind of open it up so that other forms of intelligence, other forms of skill, other forms of experience and uh, strategy can apply to this idea without f limiting your way of looking at them? Of course, and I think again that goes back to being able to be really, really self-aware within yourself. Mm -hmm. And being able to say, well, if they do it this way, are they doing it wrong? Or are they just doing it differently? Yeah. And so obviously there are roles that, you know, like engineering, for example, they've got to be able to code. Like they're not going to hire sure. me to code. It's not yeah. going to happen um, because I might do it differently. And that, that different is very wrong. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but I do think there is a way that you can say to yourself, like I do it type. I'm, I do it in, you know, column A mm -hmm. and engineer comes in and they do it column B, but we all get the same answers mm -hmm. and being able to be okay with that. And I don't think that's necessarily a matter of DNI, but that's a matter of managerial skill. Yeah. Okay. Because a lot of times we don't when we're new to being a manager, when we're just kind of micromanaging, it is hard to manage or micromanage someone who thinks differently than you because you want yeah. to be able to keep them so in line. Mm -hmm. um, and I think self-awareness is something that is really key in being a manager, number one, but being an ally in, D in the DNI space, because there are always going to be things that pop up in your brain that you're like, why did I think that? Yeah. Like a perfect example is when someone interviews someone like me and they say, oh my goodness, I'm so surprised by how articulate you are. Oh. And then I want you to like step back and be like, oh God, why did I say that? Yeah. Because yeah. like, would yeah. you say that to like, a white dude like oh my yeah. god I'm so surprised that you can talk wow <laughs> <laughs> and so constantly and like again there's always going to be mistakes you're going to say things but afterwards you're like whoa why mm -hmm. did I say that but having the ability to say why do I say why did I say that why do I feel this way I think transcends mm -hmm. into that same topic is why do I feel like because this person is doing it differently but still gets the same answer why do I feel like that's wrong yeah. is it because I'm scared to manage them is it because I'm scared they will do it better than myself Mm -hmm. um, so I think 
you know, it's really more about being self-aware, but also making sure that you have a very balanced interview team because there is always going to be difference of opinion on an interview team. And that's why I encourage people to not do it. Like I interviewed them, so I'm going to hire them, yeah. method, which is still a thing, but. Yep. No, I know. I, when I did it, I used to do it and I was surprised by a certain kind of person tended to hire and I never really thought of it that way and I tended to hire a certain kind of person. It took a while for me to kind of realize I need to open this up to other points of view because I am hiring a certain kind of person over and over and over again and that's not fair. That's not right. So I did call myself out but that was a couple years ago so hopefully I've gotten a little better since then. It's good to call yourself out though. I think you know a lot of times people ask me like how what is the best way for me to be an ally and I think the number one way is like being able to call yourself out on your own BS. Because mm-hmm. if you can't call it out on yourself, then like you don't get to call it out on anyone else. And no one else gets to call it out on you. Because yeah, you get defensive and you're a jerk and you're going to push back on it and there's repercussions and all that stuff. Yep. And then it's just like this cycle of denial and being defensive. Yeah. Well, then you don't have a DNI team because you don't need one. Cause... Yep. <laughs> we don't talk about it because we don't have a problem. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> uh, okay. One more question there. So when I think about employer brand – it's a big complicated subject for me, which is why I love it. It's incredibly challenging and open and, and there's a whole lot of ways to approach it and think about it and do it. But one of the things most employer branders are charged with is expanding the pipeline, right? We want more applicants in a time when maybe up until, let's say, three weeks ago, it was incredibly hard to find talent. It was incredibly hard to get people to apply. Yes, there's suddenly 10 million uh, people looking for jobs, but they may not be in the skill sets that you want. So your job is to get enough of the right kind of talent to show up. So when I think of DNI, I always think about it in terms of not about how do I reach these poor marginalized human beings who look differently and sound differently from me. I think of it as the talent's out there. How do I get them over to me? If I speak white to a black person, will a black person show up to my white job, to my white language, to my just internalized conversation, even if it's not you know, intentional in any way, shape, or form? You know, I, I the, the data that shows Sephora has 70% female developers, and people are shocked by it. I said, why? It's a company about women, for women, of women. Not surprisingly, they speak as women do, and thus they attract more women. So, you know, and that's not that, that's a win, and that shows you that the talent is everywhere. So how do you open the door to more and more of people who are not like you? If you're writing the job post, if you're writing the ad, if you're writing the career site, what are some just some thoughts or some ideas or some tricks to kind of say, how do you make sure that it doesn't just sound like you so that you can really attract people who don't in any way, shape or form look or act like you do? Yeah, two things. I think there needs to be kind of like a checks and balances when it comes to the wording of job descriptions. Um, A lot of times you'll see, especially in sales job descriptions, they're super male oriented. Oh yeah. They just like use words that are like aggressive. Yeah. Like, aggressive competitive and like you goal oriented yes and like Justin just like screams fraternity at me um (laughs) and so and so I think you have to have a checks and balance system where you have different people read your job descriptions um Mm -hmm. and your career site and say hey would you want to apply to this and that means maybe going not necessarily just to HR anymore but like go to the people who are actually on that team like read through this and then have someone else who's not on that team read through that would this make you want to apply here Um, Because at the end of the day, people apply, when they look at job descriptions, they look at very briefly at your top paragraph, which is like a blurb Mm -hmm. about your company. They don't actually care that much about that. But then they immediately scroll down to the qualifications. Mm -hmm. And if your qualifications sound like it's a dude, I'm not going to apply. Yeah. Um, Specifically, (laughs) 
if it's mm. like a sales type role, because I also, as a woman, don't want to go onto a sales team where I'm now the only woman, because yeah. that's not a good time. Yeah. Um, and then again, then they scroll down to the benefits and looking at that. And so when you talk benefits and you're just putting like beer, foosball, happy yeah. hours, like I'm also in like, there's not like maternity leave, healthcare, yeah. 401k. Mm. I'm also like concerned that maybe like it's not a super grown up brand either. Yeah. Um, and so I think having checks and balances and making sure that you're open to language swaps. But then when you're actually looking for your talent, diversifying where you're actually looking, there are tons of groups on LinkedIn, Facebook. You don't have to just use like Boolean strings all of the time. I know we get like real into Boolean um, because I feel very strongly about there are tons like hire tools, seek out. They all offer me the opportunity to, to search based on race. Mm-hmm. which like kind of gives me the creep because yeah. like, again, I don't want you to reach out to me because I'm black. I want you to reach out to me because I'm a badass. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. And so get, there are tons of like black engineering groups, like black women in tech. Like there are all of these groups that exist, like lean in ATX is full of all different types of lean in circles. Yeah. And so making sure that you're finding a way to get in touch with those people. And maybe it is you reach out to the person who runs their career site or runs their happy hours and say, hey, I'm hiring and I have this role at this company and I think you have people who'd be a great fit. Would you mind pitching this? Um, I just want to pause right there. I think that's, I love the way you worded that. It's not, I'm looking for a woman, I'm looking for an African-American, I'm looking for a Latinx. It's, I'm looking for someone who I think you might have people who might be good at that. Exactly. I think because that's at, I think that's great. at the end of the day, you're not looking for someone who, to just tick your box. And if you yeah, are, then yeah. we're having the wrong conversation. Yeah, um, yeah. You're looking for someone who is a badass and really good at what they do and who's going to bring mm-hmm. new perspectives into your world. Which is why I always um, think of it as being underserved, that because you're not reaching out to those communities and you're not telling and explaining them in a language that they're that is more closely aligned to who they are, it's not so much that you're pandering, it's just that you're not speaking you're 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 wandering China speaking English and wondering why no one will, will talk to you. It's like you're you're talking the wrong language to these people. You gotta talk in their language first. Exactly. I mean, like when you think about engineering, there are very different people who hang out on LinkedIn. And like most of my engineers tell me they don't hang out on LinkedIn. Like if I want to get good engineering talent, like LinkedIn isn't really the place for me to reach out to them because they check their messages every 92 days. Yeah. And so it's the same concept, like the same people don't just hang out in the same spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, recruiters it, do, so therefore that's what, what's the line, you know, the, the oxymoron is the, the guy lost his keys in, in the dark and the guy, the friend says, Why, oh, you lost them here under the spot, under the street light? He goes, no, no, I lost them over there in the dark, but the light's better over here. And the recruiters are focused on this place where they're so comfortable and they're so used to going and they know all the buttons and they know all the ways of doing, doing it, but not engaging with the fact that, you know, engineers and other data scientists and whatnot, nurses do not live on LinkedIn like recruiters do. Correct. And I think... The other thing is like, I think there will be a shift at some point in the way the world kind of operates where like, I think contractors will become a very large portion of this workforce. And guess what? They're not really hanging out on LinkedIn either because they're entrepreneurs. They're like building their businesses. And so I think as a recruiter, as someone who's looking for talent, like in order to be like very good at your craft, you have to be able to like log off of LinkedIn. Yeah. Like as of right, like right now, I don't have LinkedIn recruiter because I have feelings (laughs) about them. It's like one of those things, like they're necessary evil, so their product is like, meh, and they don't ever fix it because they don't have to because no matter Mm -hmm. what, people are like, oh, I need it. Like, I have to have it. Like, recruiters don't think they're recruiters unless they have it. Like, that's how they define themselves in a lot of ways. 
Exactly. And it's like wildly expensive. And there's just all of these other avenues that you can find really great talent that one make you look different and cool. Cause like, Oh my God, you reached out to this person on like Amazon cause you saw their review yeah. and you were like, Oh, you re- you read this engineering book in this language that I'm looking for. And I'm looking for an engineer who's coding in that language. So like there's tons of ways to find people that don't involve just like looking at their personal networking sites. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Madison, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for being present and being here with me and hanging out and shooting the shit and all that good stuff. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your attention. And I imagine anybody who listens to this got a lot of stuff out of it. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me and dealing with this Muppety voice that I have in real life. <laughs> I appreciate I, that. <laughs> I just had a webinar today, so I feel like I'm all, uh, hey, how are you? My voice is fried. Let's talk about you DNA. So I, <laughs> So we're a good pair today. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, go ahead and share. Go ahead and tell everybody about it. Um, I've got a, just so you know, because I didn't do it in housekeeping, I've got an email newsletter, which by now, if you haven't signed up, what are you waiting for? Uh, just uh, links to great stories and better ways of thinking about employer brand to keep you sharp. So go to employerbrand.news for that or just look in the show notes. Otherwise, I will see you all next week. Thank you again, Madison. So thrilled that you could be here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll see you later. This has been an episode of The Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter, at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hello or let's just talk. That's linkedin.com slash in slash the war for talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me, let me know what's going on. Thank you. If you've shared it, please share. If you haven't rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again. And uh, we'll see you next week. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.